Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you are all doing well. If you're doing well, go ahead and slap somebody a high five next to you. Let them know you're having a good day. All right. Everybody's doing good today. That is awesome. It is a great day. All right. So we've been on a series these last couple of weeks entitled Soul Sessions. And today we're going to wrap it up. We're going to close it up. And I want to start off by simply making a statement to you this morning. I want to encourage you to make room for more in your life. Now, right now that doesn't mean much to you, but after we get through today with the Word of God, I pray that you understand, you're encouraged and enlightened to the fact that God created you for more. God created you to make, to do so much more, to impact this world in such a greater way, but it's contingent upon how you and I make room for God. And we make room for his word. Just to kind of recap, 3 John chapter 1, verse 2 says this, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and that you be in health as your soul prospers. Say this with me. God wants me. God wants me. Oh, come on now. You got to really say this with me. God wants me, God wants me. To, prosper to prosper in all things, but it starts in my soul. The soul is most commonly defined in Scripture in the Old and New Testament to equate to this one thing. It's the place where our mind operates. It's where our will and emotions are. It's where um, we allow information to inform our mind, to impact our emotions. And so what we do in our soul, what happens in our mind, listen closely. I'm not just talking about some motivation stuff. I'm talking about what we do with the Word of God, how the Word of God impacts our mind. You can read Tim Robbins all you want, but Tim Robbins ain't giving you Jesus. I could just be honest. We could just be honest. It's what God has to say and how that impacts your mind that transforms your life, that causes you and I to prosper in all things. It causes us to be in health. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, puts it this way. It says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. That word meditate speaks of thinking. It speaks of continually rolling in your mind. It speaks of our imagination. And so notice what Scripture says, that as we meditate in it day and night, that we are able to observe to do according to all that is written in it. Listen closely. There are many people that spin their wheels in religion trying to be better for God minus the word. You can never do what God has called you to do independent of his word. Notice that the word says that it's as we meditate in it day and night, as we imagine according to it, as we think according to it, that then we're able to observe to do according to all that is written in it. And here's the beauty of it. That when that is the case in our lives, the Bible says that then you will make your way prosperous. You, not God, you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. How many of you want to prosper? Some of you are straight up liars. Everybody wants to prosper. How many of you want to prosper? Wave at me. Absolutely, yes. You want to prosper. How many of you want good success? Go ahead and shout at me. Some of you are liars or you're just confused. How many of you want success in life? Yeah. 
Okay, all right. I, I hear you. Good thing. But watch this. Why are you looking to God when God has given you his word and he says that you will make your way prosperous and you will have good success? See, it's what we allow the word of God, the entrance of the word into our soul, this mind, how we allow it to transform this mind that impacts how we make our way prosperous and how we have good success. And so God wants you and I to have a manner of life that is prosperous and to have good success. But the key to it is how much room do we make for the word to impact our thinking? Let me show you an example of what happens when you allow the word of God to impact your thinking. Let's watch this video real quick. Hi, my name is Juana Ortiz, and I'd like to share a little bit um, about my journey with you. Um, prior to coming to Church at the Bridge, I was just a mom and a wife and a daughter. And taking the duties and the responsibilities of owning up to that name, I became overwhelmed. There was times that I felt alone and lonely. No matter how big your family is, no matter how many kids I have, you get used to it. And all you do is hide the feelings within yourself. And sometimes you feel like you're not even worth even speaking about any feelings to anyone. You know, what I felt didn't matter. I would have to deal with it myself. But <clears throat> seven or eight months ago, I got up. I said, we are going to church procrastinated a bit you know but I knew I wanted to go to church so I kept telling my children we are going to get up for church one morning we got up and went to church we went to church at the bridge <clears throat> and that day no not that day that night my life changed anytime I feel any sadness anytime I feel any any emotion um, I know how to deal with it, and I know why I deal with it. <clears throat> when I'm happy, I go back to why I'm happy, and how did I become happy? And before, it was just like, okay, you're happy, whatever, all right, it passes. No, now I'm happy, and... I know why I'm happy. And when I'm sad, before I would find, I, I couldn't find the strength. I would just bury it. I would bury all my emotions. And now any emotion or any feeling that I get, it's like, it's temporary. It's temporary. And as long as I can move forward from it and learn from it and grow from it, I'm going to be good. I'm good. I know that God is by my side, and I know he's not leaving me nowhere. He's not going to leave me on the side. He's there. I tell my kids all the time, don't stress yourself. Don't worry about yourself. There is a plan. There's a plan, and I'm so happy that 
my children are learning and are growing to understand and trust the Lord. Our lives have been changed so much that I can't even put into words anymore. We found a new best friend. Amen. Amen. Hey, I want you to think about something. So Juana is not very much different from you and I, to be honest with you. Juana is just someone like you and I that is seeking after God and has allowed entrance of God's word into her life. I want you to think about that. Juana came here maybe eight months ago. It was earlier this year, beginning of this year. And she came in here with her three kids and her husband and her sister. And then her, her, her little sister started coming. And, and so, but here's the, here's the deal. When we make room for God's word, here's what begins to happen. It makes room in every area of our lives to experience the blessing of God. You got to hear that. You got to hear that. And more importantly, you got to believe that. There's, there's a cooperation that needs to happen between this mind and the word of God and the truth that God is speaking to you and I. So much so to the extent that it begins to expand our thinking. Because to the extent that you expand in your soul, to that extent you'll expand in your life. Let me prove that to you from God's word. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 16 through 20 puts it this way. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. Listen closely. In your inner being. Many people spin their wheels in life looking to progress, looking to succeed, looking to make it, looking to excel and expand. But you're so busy focused on the outside that you neglect where God works on the inside. He's working on the inside. Verse 17 says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Listen, it doesn't mean that we still don't go through trials and tribulations in life. You can bank on that. Those will come. That's going to happen. Scripture says, Jesus said that. But that doesn't mean that you have to live tribulated. That doesn't mean that we have to live in turmoil. That doesn't mean that we have to fail and, 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 and detract in life and, and, and fall short and, and live less than what God's word says. Listen, this woman got a hold of the word of God and it impacted not just her, but it's impacting her children. Her nine-year-old son, Angel, you got to meet this little guy. He is the cutest thing. Angel comes in with a notebook every Sunday. And Angel goes down to Bridge Kids. And you know what Angel does? Angel takes notes. And when they leave and they get in the car, he's talking to mommy about what they, were, what they learned in the Word. Here's what some of you may not know if you're not aware of this. What you're learning here is what they're learning downstairs. They're learning it at their level. Our teens are learning it upstairs, the same, the same exact message. Do you know why? Because when you leave here, you no longer have to have this experience. What would you learn in church? Um, Jesus. 
No, you know what they learned because they learned the same thing. And so what it does is it creates a central focus, a unity amongst the family where you can begin a conversation and you can do what the word says where you teach your child in the way that they should go and you raise them up so that that way when they grow old, they never depart. And here's what's even cooler. I like this little guy. I'm his biggest fan. They don't come to church when they miss it for some reason. You know what he's saying? Mom, we got to get on the computer. Did they post it yet? Mom, when I get back from school, because we got to listen to Pastor Jose, because we miss church. And he's there with his notebook taking notes. He's talking to his little brothers about Jesus. He's talking to his friends in school about Jesus. He's telling daddy about Jesus. And now where it was just Juana and one son, now it's Juana and her three sons and her husband and her sister and her niece and her younger sister. And so what I want you to see is this. When we make room for God's word in our heart and in our lives, it begins not only to impact us, it impacts others. That's the gospel. That's how it's supposed to work. Oh, come on, you can give it up for God. Verse, verse 19 says this, To know this love that surpasses knowledge. Here's what you didn't hear in her testimony. I had to change this, I had to change that. She said, no, I know God's got me. I know God loves me. Listen, when you are convinced that God loves you, it will transform everything. It's not about what you transform, it's about his love transforming you. When God decided to touch mankind, to change mankind, here's what he didn't come with, a bucket list of what you need to change. The Bible says this, for God so loved the world, he gave what? His love, his only begotten son. That's all God gave. You know why? Because that's all we need. When you have a confidence in God, his presence in your life, and his love for you, even when you fall short, here's what you know. You can get back up. Why? Because he's still there with you. And verse 20, very infamous passage of scripture. Many people know it and quote it, but I don't know if we truly appreciate the power and the truth of it. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Listen closely where God works. God doesn't work on your behavior. God doesn't work on your external circumstances. God works on your mind. Notice the function. God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask, watch this, or imagine. Where is it talking about, ladies and gentlemen? It's right here between these two ears, in your mind and mine. That's where God creates change. That's where God effectually, immeasurably expands. And so notice that it says it's according to his power that is at work in us. Right now, you're hearing the word. The Bible says that Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. So in the hearing of the word that you are receiving right now, there is a work that is happening in you. The question is, are you working it? Because God has done his part. The question is, what are we doing with the work that has been done in us? How are you increasing, expanding, uh, moving to the left and to the right, enlarging your territory in this mind? That's good preaching, Pastor. Praise God. That's good preaching. 
In God we find strength unto our very core. We have power. We're established in his love. And we're filled, listen closely, verse 19 says, with the fullness of God. How much room do I have to make in my life? We serve a big God. Expect big things. Expect expansion. But it's according to how this mind is renewed and transformed. And so today, here's today's big idea. You've heard it already. Make room for more. Make room for more in this mind. Expand to the left, to the right, to the north, to the south, to the west. Go, go imagine, believe, ask beyond what you have conceived in your own mind. Receive the fullness of God. I want to encourage you, make room for more. Isaiah 54 verses 1 through 6. This is a, a, a very dear portion of scripture to me because God, on three different occasions since we started this ministry, revealed something to me from, this, from these scriptures. When we started this church, God gave us this word. When we moved into this building, God gave us this word, showed me this word. And just recently, God challenged me on something. And all this time, when I was hearing, make room, enlarge your tents. You know what I was hearing? Do this, do that. And the last time, God told me this, enlarge this tent. Make room here. And that's actually what this is talking about. Watch what it says in verses 1 through 6. It says, sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break out into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you who have never been in labor. So get this picture. In context, God is speaking to the people of Israel. In these days, in these days and times, for a woman to be barren was as if she was cursed. It was looked down upon. She was shunned. The question would come up, what have you done what sin, what hidden sin do you have going on? Why are you barren? And so for a woman to be barren was a bad thing. And watch what God equates his people Israel to. And maybe this applies to you, where you are right now. And if the shoe fits, just change it. Don't wear it, change it. I want you to hear what he says. Sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, says the Lord. Enlarge your house. Build an addition. Spread out your home and spare no expense. For you will soon be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. Listen closely to what God is saying. He's saying, expand your territory. Enlarge your tent. Enlarge your place of dwelling. And here's what he's not talking about. He's not talking about the place you live in. He's talking about where your thinking operates. He says to the people of Israel, you're like a barren woman. You don't have children, but what you don't know is that there are nations in you. That what I'm doing in you is bursting at the seams. He's refocusing their thinking. And so he says, enlarge your tents. Make room. You know what's one thing that we can be guilty of as believers? We don't believe big enough. We don't think big enough. We settle for where we're at. And we say, oh, I'm just... 
This is just God's will. No, it is not God's will for your life. God created you to be a vessel for him to expand this gospel and touch the world where people not only hear about Jesus, but they see how good Jesus has been to you. Verse 4, he says, fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Hey, got some shame in your life? Let it go. Dust it off. Take it off. Do like the donkey that they threw into the hole and they're throwing dirt on him. And every time they would throw it on him, he'd shake it off, take some steps. And they'd throw some more dirt on him and shake it off. And he'd take some steps. And before long, they hit, they, here they are trying to bury this guy. And all of a sudden, they filled the whole hole and the donkey's still out. And what they didn't realize was that no matter what they threw on him, no matter what shame they tried to throw on him, he just shook it off, dusted it off, stomped his feet, and stood up. You will no longer live in shame. Verse 4. Don't be afraid. There is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood. For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer, the holy one of Israel, the God of all the earth. That includes you and I. For the Lord has called you back from your grief. As though you were a young wife abandoned by her husband, says your God. You want to leave with one word from God, just one? I mean, I can just wrap this sermon up right here. Make room for more. Expand your soul. How do you do that? How, how, how much word are you allowing to inform it? How much of the word are you allowing to expand your thinking? There was a time when I couldn't believe for squat. Oh, that was kind of, I can't believe pastor said that. I'm just, I couldn't believe for anything. I couldn't believe to move outside of a studio apartment in the Bronx where drug dealers were around and, and gunshots were going off all the time and one person was dying and another person was dying and you just knew this weekend's going to be a hot one. But all of a sudden, I started hearing, hearing the word differently. And it wasn't because somebody was preaching it to me, although that was happening in my life at that time. It was I began to see how good God really is. And I began to understand how graceful and merciful God is, how loving God is, how he has a purpose and a plan for my life and for yours. I began to believe that I was created to do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond because that's his nature and that's the nature that he's deposited in me. I began to believe that God loves me, that he's for me, and that nobody could stand against me, that the blessing of God went with me when I went in and when I went out. God challenges us and he says, you think you're barren. You think you're down and out. You think you've got nothing going for you. And he says, you're bursting at the seams. Make room for what I want to do, God says. Make room. Make room for it. In verse 10, he says this of Isaiah 54, for the mountains may move and the hills disappear. But even then, my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant and my blessing will never be broken, says the Lord who has mercy on you. 
we make room for more as we grow in our understanding and believe for the greater promises of God. You can only go as high as you're able to see the goodness of God, ladies and gentlemen. We can only go as high as we're able to believe and understand how good God is towards us. That's the gospel. That's simple. It's that simple. It really is. And so for the couple of moments that I have here, I want to share with you four simple things from the word. I mean, there's so much more we could say, but I just want to share with you four simple things that I want you to see from God's word about your mind and about how we make room in our mind, how we make room for more. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 says this, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden in, with Christ in God. First point that I want to make to you here is simply this. In order to make room for more, right here in this mind, you've got to look less to people, places, and things. Listen closely to what I'm saying here. Many times, we can equate the blessing of God to a person. We can look for the blessing of God according to material. We can look for the blessing of God according to what somebody else will do at the expense of setting aside God. Does that make sense? You get where I'm coming from? Listen closely. I remember growing up, uh, my mother did the best that she could with six kids, and she tried to expose us to having a relationship with God in her own way. I remember when it first started, we used to go to this place, which I won't name because I don't want to offend anybody, but it was in midtown Manhattan. It was a huge church. And we would go there, and for me, the coolest thing was we would get to light a candle, right? And so I thought that was real cool. You put a quarter in the thing, and the, the candle came up, and supposedly your prayer was answered, right? But the thing was that my mother truly believed that in order for us to do that, we had to first go into this room that was really creepy. We would go into this room, and we would sit there, and this guy would speak to you from the other side and ask you what, what you've done wrong, and we had to literally tell him everything that we did wrong in order so that somehow we could feel right with God. The problem is that it was never a first-hand relationship with God. In my mind, I began to believe that my relationship with God depended upon this person on the other side of that box. Later on, as we grew up, we shifted and we ended up going to a place and they would give you a magazine. And we would sit there and we would read through the magazine and we would talk to uh, regurgitate scripture really well and all that. And, and we did that well, but it was empty. It was so bad that my uncle got kicked out for smoking cigars. He was told, you are excommunicated is the term that they used. Think about that. Jesus hung around with thieves. He hung around with people that were adulterous, prostitutes, the sick, the lowly. Those were the ones that he went to. He says, I didn't come for you who think you're all righteous. I came for those that are sick, that need to be saved, those that are lost. See the heart of God in that. And so, and then, you know, when, 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 it, when I got a little bit older, we ended up going to the Pentecostal church. And that, to me, I, I thank God for that because I believed on Jesus for real. But I was just so confused after that because I was told God loves you. And then I was told I was going to hell every week. 
And so that was confusing to me. Because here I had a vision of a God that supposedly loves me, but my God, I went to the movies. Why am I going to hell? I went to CET. Why am I going to hell? And so it became this seesaw experience, and the problem was that it was a second-hand relationship with God. I can guarantee you this. None of you will, ha- will, will, will go to your husband or to your wife and ask somebody else, none of you would go and kiss somebody else and tell them, now go give that kiss to my wife. You know why you wouldn't do that? Because secondhand relationships don't work. It's firsthand relationships that work. And it's a firsthand relationship with God that works. And we need to expand our thinking beyond people. Beyond people, beyond places. There are people that really believe that my relationship with God is contingent upon me being in a building on Sunday. I'm not saying that that's not important. But what I am saying is that we get so uh, indoctrinated, so uh, we conform to the extent that we believe because I go to this place, I'm good with God. Because I'm associated just with these people, I'm good with God. My God, when I was growing up in the Pentecostal church, I honestly believed that we were the only people going to heaven. Everybody else was going to hell, I thought. Why? Because of where we were on 220th Street and Bronxwood Avenue in the Bronx. And I was completely in error. We can't look to people, places, and things. That's why the Word of God says to us, set your mind on things above, not earthly things. And then he qualifies that statement by saying this, for you died. You're no longer there. That's no longer your dwelling place. He says, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. We should be looking up on a daily basis instead of looking to people. Can I say something to you ladies? With all due respect, if your love tank is filled by a guy, you got problems. Let me tell you why. Because every man, every woman will fail you. If you're looking for love in a person at the expense of looking to God, you're heading down the wrong path. If you're depending on people at the expense of depending on God, you're heading down the wrong path. How do you know when that's happening? When prayer, when looking to God is your last resort. When after everything is gone, haywire, then you go to God. That's when you know you've misplaced your heart. You're looking to the wrong places. And so God's word tells us, don't look to earthly things. Look to things above. Look to things above. Amen? Second point I want to make to you comes out of James chapter 4, uh, the second half of verse 2 into 3. says, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Listen closely. In order to make room and expand in your soul, you have to ask with the right motivation. We have to ask with the right motivation. God wants to increase in our lives, but it starts with this mind, and it cannot be when we ask God for selfish reasons. Let me give you an example, a good example of this. In 2 Chronicles chapter 1, the Bible introduces us to a young man named Solomon. As a matter of fact, his father was the infamous King David. 
And when Solomon is anointed and becomes king, Solomon, theologians say, was only 12 years old. He was young. So here's the predicament he's facing. He has no experience in being a king. He has big shoes to fill because his father is King David, the greatest king that ever was in Israel up until that point and even until today. And on top of that, he's at the helm of a kingdom of well over three million people with no experience as a king. And so the Bible tells us that after he's appointed king and he assumes the role, that his first act is to go before the Lord with a sacrifice of a thousand burnt offerings. And so he's expressing his devotion unto God. And that night God appears to Solomon and says to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe, just maybe, if I was in that position and I didn't know better, here's what I would ask. Hey, God, kill all my enemies. (laughs) Get rid of all of them. I don't want any problems. God, make me king for a long, long time. Hey, God, cause these people to respect me, to honor me as king that I don't have these issues with them. I mean, I might be tempted to ask that if I didn't know better. But watch what Solomon asked the Lord when God told him that. 2 Chronicles 1, verses 8 through 12, Solomon answered God, and he says, You have shown great kindness to David my father and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father David be confirmed. For you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Watch what he asked for. Give me wisdom and knowledge. You know what he's asking? He's asking God. Notice he's not saying, God, kill my enemies. God, do this. God, do that. He says, God, give me wisdom and knowledge. What is he talking about? The function of the mind, the soul. He's saying, God, expand my understanding expand my wisdom help me to see your leading your guidance and so he's asking for more room but he's not asking for more room here in life he's not asking for more money in his pockets what is he asking for he's saying god grant me wisdom and understanding that i may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours In verse 11, God says to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you have not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given you, and I will also give you wealth possessions and honor such as no king who was before you ever had and none after you will have i want you to get this point here remember third john chapter two uh, chapter one verse two where it says beloved i pray that you prosper and that you be in health that you prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers get this draw the correlation here connect the dots When this mind expands according to the wisdom and knowledge of God, so does every area of your life. Solomon asked for wisdom and understanding from God. And that wisdom and understanding facilitated the blessing of God over his life. 
and over his kingdom. That's good stuff there. Solomon had the opportunity to get whatever he wanted from God. But all he wanted was understanding and wisdom. This is why Paul prays in the book of Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened. That you would know the riches of the inheritance that are yours in the saints. That you would know the power of God towards you. Paul prays that your mind would be expanded. And that's what God is calling you and I, ladies and gentlemen. We all, want, but we, we all believe in God, bless me, God, this. And there's nothing wrong with that. But in order to receive it, you got to make room in your mind. According to God's word, we've got to allow it to transform how we think. In order to make room, more room, uh, room for more in your life, you have to let go of everything that is of lesser value. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. I don't have much time here, but in Mark chapter 10, the Bible tells us that Jesus has an encounter with a man who's of many resources. The guy's got much wealth. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he's rich. And this guy comes to Jesus, and mind you, this is someone that maybe you or I would look at and go, man, he's got it all together. I wish I was blessed like him. He's got money. He's probably got a great big circle of people that call themselves his friends. He's probably loved by many people. And this guy comes to Jesus having all this wealth and having everything that life, quote unquote, affords you. He's living, quote unquote, a good life. And the Bible says that he comes to Jesus and he says to him in verse 17 of Mark chapter 10, what must I do? To inherit life. Listen to what he's saying. This is a big question coming from this guy because evidently all the riches, all the material gain, and all the benefits that came with his riches weren't enough for him. He was seeking something more. Something was happening in this mind. And so Jesus responds to him in verse 19. You know the commandments. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and honor your mother. And Jesus responds to him according to the law because they were still under the law in those days. See, Jesus hadn't died and rose again, so the rules were different then. And so Jesus points him to the law, but he points him to the law wisely because according to Scripture, the law is only meant to show us our need for God. It's meant to show us that we can't do it without Jesus. And so he points him to the law. And this young man responds to him and says to him, in verse 20, he says, Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. I've done all these things, Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and he loved him, the Bible says. He loved him because he saw his sincere desire. He saw that he really wanted more. That he wasn't suffice with where he was. And the Bible says, Jesus says to him, but one thing you lack. Go, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. The Bible says in verse 22 that at this, this man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. This guy thought he had more. And what he found out was that what he had had a hold of him. 
See, he valued his wealth more than he did what Jesus was trying to bring into his life. Jesus was saying, you've got all that. Let that go. Let that go. Give that away. But come follow me. Come find out what true wealth is. The point here isn't that wealth is a bad thing. Because if you read on, you'll see that Jesus goes on to say in verse 23 how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the point isn't that wealth is the problem. The point is when wealth has your heart above your heart for God. And that's not just wealth. That's anything in our lives. And so we need to reorient this mind. We need to evaluate. You know, when my wife organizes something, last year we did the garage. We, we cleaned it out. And we probably have to clear it out again now. But that's my fault. But when my wife organizes something, what she does, she doesn't just sweep and mop. She takes everything out. So she literally took everything out of the garage and put it, on the driveway and I drive it and I go what is this <laughs> and she says if we're going to clean and reorganize this garage then we got to identify what's garbage what's of no value no 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 but I can use that nope that's going to the garbage no 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 but I can use it that's been there for four years what's my point with that ladies and gentlemen I can't do that for you. Nobody can do that for you. Only you can look at your own situation. And only you can identify, what have I esteemed of more value than God? If there's anything that we esteem more than God, can I, can I encourage you with a thought? It's really of less value. Maybe it's time to let it go. Maybe it's time to clean shop. Maybe it's time to reprioritize and get back to what's most important. You know how Jesus defined that? Follow me. Follow me. That's what Jesus said. Follow me. Follow me. And then my last point here as we close out today is this, that if we're going to make room for more, if we're going to expand in this soul, and we have to really evaluate and appreciate what God has done in our life. And we have to use what God has placed in our hands. What are you talking about, Pastor Jose? In Exodus, Exodus chapter 4, God calls Moses out of 40 years of seclusion. This guy is on the run, hiding from the Pharaoh of Egypt, afraid for his life. And God calls him and says to him, I'm appointing you to be the deliverer that I'm going to send unto my people to set them free, to tell Pharaoh to let them go. You know what's happening right there in that moment in Moses' life? God is expanding his thinking. The problem was Moses didn't see it that way. Moses says, but, 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 but God, I, God, 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 stutter. I'm of no reputation. What if, I don't, what if they don't believe that you sent me? How will they know that it's you? And he comes with all these doubts. And in one of those instances, God addresses his doubt by saying this to him. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, it says, So the Lord said to him, What's that in your hand? You know something? Many times when it comes to us, seeing the more that God promises, we fail to realize what God has already done in our lives. And what God has placed in our lives. Can I tell you what's one of the most undervalued things? 
hand, possibly for some, this word right here. You know, when somebody says to me, Pastor, I know what the Bible says, but what do you say? You know what my response is? I have nothing to say. Because I don't want you depending on me. That's a problem, ladies and gentlemen, when we depend on people to tell us about God. There's nothing wrong with you hearing the word. This is scriptural, what we're doing right here. This is good. But there's a next step to it. There's you growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, this is just meant to whet your appetite. The question is, what will you do with what's in your hand? What's interesting is that whenever God is about to unfold a great plan, he always looks to man to include him in the process. When he went to feed 5,000 men, that doesn't count the other 15, 20,000 estimated women and children, he didn't say, hey guys, uh, let me see what I got. He says, hey, what, what do we have? We only got two loaves, or two fishes and five loaves. That's enough. When it comes to, uh, when, it came to uh, uh, when it comes to your life, the Bible says that God blesses the works of your hands. Question is, what are you doing? Because according to the steps of faith that we take, we make room for God to work. Remember, it's according to the work in you. And so today I leave you with this thought, ladies and gentlemen. I end first with a question. Will you make room God wants to do in your life? Will you enlarge your tents? Will you expand this mind according to God's word? Because to the extent that you do, you'll experience the more that God wants to do in your life and through your life.